Hello, hello. Hello, Tom. Hello, Ola. Доброго вечора, Альона. Як справи? Вчора. Справи дуже добре, дякую. Як у тебе? Супер, супер, дякую. I'm just continuously impressed. Your pronunciation is just improving day by day. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> I figured that I should probably speak a little bit of Ukrainian if we're going to be talking about the language uh, in this one. That would, otherwise, it would be very hypocritical of you, I'm not going to lie. Uh, but uh, yeah, you're making great, uh, great progress, I think. Um, I am just sending you a couple DMs. Uh, um, and uh, in the meantime, you can tell us um, how your week was, because you've not spoken for a week with you. That's true. Uh, there's a little bit of ruffling going on on your microphone. Sorry, give me one second. Just had a full throat. Um, the week's been good. Uh, it's been pretty quiet here in Kyiv um, the last week in, as far as um, rocket and drone attacks go until this morning. Um, this morning uh, we were all woken up at 5.55 a.m. with a siren and I think it was around 6.30 that the drones uh, started to appear over Kyiv Oblast and, um, and it turned out that... Uh, the anti-air guys uh, shot down all 13 of them. And so that was obviously good news for, for everybody here. And uh, I think a little bit of a surprise because I think a lot of people in Ukraine in the cities away from the front have been expecting uh, a massive rocket attack that will um, you know, produce the conditions uh, that we saw a couple of weeks ago uh, where there wasn't electricity and in some cases water for uh, a couple of days. And so we've all kind of been on edge waiting for that, I think. That's at least the sentiment that I get. And uh, how is the situation now? Is it better? Yeah, you know what? I was just running the numbers today on uh, how many hours of electricity I've been getting uh, and whether that's been improving or not because it feels like it has been. And... Um, it definitely has been, actually, because I was looking back a week ago, I was getting around two or three hours uh, twice a day in my apartment. Uh, and uh, I actually only had three hours without electricity today, and it was about the same yesterday as well. So I think that um, that's probably replicated across the rest of Kiev. Uh, in a similar way. Uh, I know most of the people that I speak to uh, are either in um, really big buildings that are um, on the on the outskirts um, that have really suffered, actually. I think that possibly DTAC, the, electric, uh, the electricity company, has identified that they can, you know, cut off a lot of load by cutting off one tower uh, for a long time. And unfortunately, because they're so tall, they have lifts that they can't, um, use and so it's a lot of climbing upstairs more than the nine uh, story old Soviet buildings uh, like the one that I'm in um, and unfortunately as well they, they have water that um, needs to be pumped with electricity up the building so they lose water as well which is probably um, at least from what I hear uh, one of the most uh, frustrating aspects because you need to sort of wake up in the middle of the night um, to have a shower for the next day um, 
or else you, you're going to wake up and, and you're kind of screwed. So uh, I've had it pretty okay. I know uh, I've got other friends who live in the center as well who haven't lost electricity at all, um, except for uh, that attack that I mentioned previously, um, at which time I didn't feel super sympathetic to hearing that they didn't have electricity for a couple of days, uh, given that uh, in my district um, it was pretty rough the, the last couple of weeks, although those last couple of days have been um, pretty good. Wow. And uh, Jesus Christ. And uh, how, like, how do people adapt to this? Is uh, life kind of, uh, does it carry on as uh, usual? Do, we, uh, do Ukrainians uh, adjust quickly to this uh, unfortunate uh, new lifestyle? I've heard mixed stories. Um, and so I know of people who will uh, relocate what they're doing uh, to cafes that have generators. Um, I've heard stories of people uh, getting generators for their apartments um, with mixed success. I know one tragic story um, of a father and son who actually died in their sleep um, because they had a, a generator going on their balcony uh, and I guess the carbon monoxide or whatever fumes are, are um, produced by that made their way into the apartment and um, they died in their sleep. Um, and so people have got varying ways of um, approaching it. Uh, I initially started out uh, from my side just buying a lot of power banks, ones that can charge my laptop as well so I can continue working. And I got a bunch of lights um, from Poland that run on, on batteries. So pretty soon after that big attack, um, I felt like my situation was reasonably okay and that I could get by as long as power came back at least once a day. Um, I've actually got more of those lights coming because I want to illuminate the stairwell in my building. I feel like uh, everybody, you know, gets out their phones um, to to light up the stairs because it's pitch black um, and maybe it would be nice. These, these ones that I have have these little uh, motion sensors, so it could be pretty luxurious in my building soon. Um, and one thing that I noticed recently a lot of is uh, people putting these um, LED or um, like glow stick um, lights on their pets when they take them out for walks um, so that they uh, don't get hit by cars, presumably. I've also noticed that um, that's also started to um, be applied to children as well. Uh, so I've seen like kids under the age of eight wearing these sort of glow sticks uh, when they're walking around with their families. Um, and I did read somewhere that um, I think there was a report from um, the Ministry of Transport that accidents were up by something like 150% or, or something in that sort of order of magnitude um, because uh, there are no streetlights in most situations. And so, yeah, there have been people uh, crashing into each other and also people um, hitting pedestrians. So, yeah, the adaptation has been interesting. I wouldn't have predicted the majority of it. Um, I know that a lot of people are getting delivered these um, uh, like Bluetti or EcoFlow um, 
they're not generators, but they're they're batteries that um, can sort of keep you up for uh, you know ten hours, twelve hours, depending on how big um, a unit you buy, and they can be recharged really quickly, like one or two hours uh, when the electricity hopefully comes back. So um, I see that happening, and yeah, I, I actually have one coming for myself because I work out of my um, out of my flat and uh, I've been working just off my laptop, but I really, and this is like, this is pretty lame, but I, I do need two screens to work and I can't get my second screen to work off uh, power banks. So I've bought one of these things and yeah, I'm going to have a surplus of energy assuming that there's power every day. And I was thinking about how I can um, share that. Um, and I just got delivered a, um, a really long extension cord, which maybe I can um, throw over my balcony to my neighbors so that I can share it out a little bit. Um, so I, I hope to see some of that happening, um, people sharing power. And um, yeah. Just reminded me of uh, this page that I, uh, um, I found a thread about how to use um batteries in uh, in an efficient way uh, and so i made <laughs> i made a page called blackout tips <laughs> for my parents so I just kind of put uh, all that stuff uh, from the th in uh, into one page so i'm gonna I'm gonna tweet it out now and uh, and share with you guys maybe i don't know maybe it would be helpful uh for someone but um i yeah i went through a bit of a stressful uh, time a few days ago because my uh, my dad called me and he he's like he always calls me when it's like something that he needs for the day before yesterday you know it's never uh it's never announced in advance with the help that he needs and so by the time he calls me he's like already st stressed as hell and yeah he, he told me he needed a radiator um and it was a very difficult time looking for it um fortunately by a friend sean helped me to uh deliver one from uh from the uk but it was literally like a miracle and it's not really the generator that i was looking for uh he wanted uh like three phase the diesel uh gs gcb uh, generator and uh he was just uh really struggling to find any <laughs> any generator at all in Ukraine. Um, so we got him a temporary solution for now. But uh, it was just making me really angry. Um, when uh, he he sent me a video of um, of, a, of the generator working at uh, at our place in, in Ukraine. And it was like he was really happy from it. But to me, it was like just so heartbreaking to watch like to see what he gets excited about these days you know it's like we are such a developed country um even even though many don't realize it and for us to be reduced to this uh, state where we are like uh freezing and um hunting for generators it's um yeah it's humiliating yeah, it's a really good point and something that honestly I hadn't thought of just in my own uh, circumstances here. I think the people that have seen me uh, adapt my apartment uh, for habitation and work um, 
probably think that I'm a bit ridiculous as well, you know, getting excited about these new little gadgets that I'm putting around the apartment. And I'm sure that's replicated all over Ukraine for the people who are lucky enough to be able to go out and, and hunt for these things. I actually uh, am looking into at the moment, there's possibly a little bit of a scandal going on um, where this um, Bluetti, this company that produces this um, power pack that I was mentioning before, um, I, I they said that they expected to send it to me between the 14th, uh, sorry, to Poland between the 14th and the 20th or something like that of December. And uh, I thought, okay, well, it's the 14th now, I'll check up on that. And the website doesn't have any updates. And so I checked what the current estimate is if it, as, as though I was buying one brand new. And uh, they now say the end of January or something like that. And so I jumped on Twitter to, and, you know, put in some little cheeky search terms to see what people are saying about this company. And I, whole, I found a whole bunch of Ukrainians uh, who had posted saying that they had ordered from either the Spanish or Polish stores um, we're told a date that would be in like in November or early December. And they're now being told if they ask, um, that, uh, it'll be coming in January. And so no doubt mine is also due in January. Uh, but, uh, the unfortunate thing is that the majority of their orders are likely to be Ukrainians and they have not, you know, made it known that these, uh, devices won't actually be available until the new year yet. And, um, yeah, only the people who've like followed them up have, have found that out. And so I'll be checking that out for myself, um, tomorrow. And, uh, yeah, that's like kind of heartbreaking because they would know that they've got this surge pun unintended in demand, um, for their, for their products because of this humanitarian situation in Ukraine. And uh, they would know there's a lot of people who are desperately waiting for these. And uh, I know that a lot of people would, who have orders would be uh, feeling a great deal of anxiety knowing that any day now or any siren now uh, could be the end of their electricity for a few days, and they've you know tied up all of this money uh, in a device that's going to um, hopefully resolve that for them. Um, yeah. That they could have deployed elsewhere, right? Yeah, I've um, also heard there is a lot of like scams about it going on, and it to me it's like wild that somebody would try to take advantage of the situation it's uh it's, it's insane and uh like uh, my dad uh, a couple of weeks ago he um uh, just didn't have electricity all day and then he calls me and it's like it sounded like he just crawled out of a cave you know he was like how many he was asking how many times uh ukraine got uh hit by missiles that day and it's uh, <laughs> and it, it was a lot uh and uh, yeah i just just was, I was lost for words for what to say to him. Um, the situation where my mom is is a bit better, but my mom is just like a, a completely unbeatable optimism she has. Uh, she can find uh, good things about anything, so she's you know it's not being complaining much. Um, so yeah, uh, let's go. Let's move on. Uh, I know think I, I know you have limited time today, and so do I as well. Uh, let's move on to our main um, subject today. And uh, we'll be speaking about uh, the Ukrainian language. It's something that's been um, 
uh, subject of heated discussions um, on Twitter, uh, mainly because it's uh, it's something that um, has been like a developing um, the, the understanding of its importance of the Ukrainian language for me personally uh, has been developing uh, this year a lot, and so not everybody is at the same uh, on the same page, and there's been a lot of like public debates about it. Uh, so, yeah, um, if you're Ukrainian, um, feel free to, like, you're especially welcome to um, come up and share uh, your perspective. Uh, but, uh, Tom, uh, whilst uh, people are considering such an option, uh, maybe you can tell us about your journey with Ukrainian. Yeah, sure. Happy to do that and definitely encourage any Ukrainians uh, to jump up because there's nobody that can speak more authoritatively on Ukrainian language in Ukraine than Ukrainians themselves. Uh, so I can only give my perspective. Uh, I hope that it's valuable in some way to somebody or at least interesting. Um, I didn't, I had a little think a bit, had a little bit of a think about how I would approach this with you, Alona. And I think that uh, my best um sort of angle here is to talk a little bit a little bit about my journey with uh ukraine and understanding ukraine uh, the country and the people um and how that interconnected with uh, the language itself um obviously there's going to be a lot of talk about colonialism there and then um there's a little bit of a personal story uh that's not related to ukraine but is related to language that i think might be useful as well so uh, if you're okay with that, I might start off with telling you about my journey in Ukraine. Uh, sorry, I didn't catch you there. Yes, please go ahead. I'm super curious now. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, so I, I, I sort of thought back to when I first came to Ukraine in 2010. Uh, and to be frank, I was a completely ignorant Australian tourist um, with very little knowledge uh european knowledge generally other than from the diaspora of course which i'm a part of as a greek australian um and uh when i came to ukraine i i had no known preconceptions um just really open eyes and and a, i guess a curious mind um but looking back now and after learning about the insidious ways uh that the um colonial narrative control works um i kind of realized that i have more baggage uh i had more baggage than i realized um and so i, I entered ukraine <laughs> knowing that you had a very difficult visa system for australians at the time uh and i knew that it was a, a country uh with a cool flag um but one major sort of waypoint for me was that it had also been part of the soviet union and the russian empire before that um, and I'd sort of never had any contact with patriotic Ukrainians in Australia or elsewhere or in Ukraine until then, um, who could give me any guiding points for why Ukrainians were in any way different to Russians, uh, or why that was even important, I guess. Um, and so, yeah, I flew into Kiev, uh, with some very rudimentary Russian language skills after having traveled in a large part of the former Soviet Union before that. Um, uh, you know, I had Zdrasvutya, um, Adnu Vodku, uh, Bajalsta, 
Abnimimimya, maybe. Um, and uh, I got into a taxi um, um, in Borispil Airport. Uh, then I thought of it as uh, Borispol. Uh, and the driver said, Zdrasje to me. And um, I felt like I kind of knew this place already. And the roads looked the same. The buildings looked uh, identical to those that I had seen, for example, in Moscow. Um, and um, uh, everyone, and really, it felt like that to me at the time. And it's kind of, it's slowly changing now, but it felt like everybody was speaking Russian. Um I saw a huge Lenin statue uh, outside Besarabsky Market. Uh, I climbed up this Batkivchina um, Mati, I guess Rodina Mat, uh, into the shield that was adorned with this hammer and sickle. And I guess when I left Ukraine at that time, I felt like um, I, I still had this impression that this Soviet Brotherhood, um, this Slavic brotherhood, if we call it Bratstvo, uh, was the real deal. And all of these stories that I heard um, studying Russian history were true. Um, and it wasn't until I'd come back a few times after that as well, but it wasn't until 2013 when I fully immersed myself in Maidan uh, instead of finishing off an exchange program that I was doing in Turkey at the time. Uh, that I started to understand that this language was like a question in Ukraine. And by the time I came to Kyiv in 2014, language is basically the, the hottest topic in Ukraine, um, courtesy of some awkwardly timed changes to laws and probably a massive underestimation of Russian propaganda um, that ultimately led to the situation that we had uh, in 2014 vis-a-vis um, -vis the invasion. Um, and so that's when I really started to pay attention to this language um, question. But I continued to um, spend time. Uh, I wanted to explore more of this region, and so I was. I went. I went to um, the Baltics and to um, some of Central Asia and to uh, the Caucasus. And I sort of still understood at that time that for me the most useful language would be Russian for me to learn because I could apply that everywhere and that's okay. Uh, and at that time still people were speaking um, Russian without anybody sort of harassing them in, um, harassing is probably the wrong word to use, let me take that back, uh, without anybody uh, questioning it or without people oh. questioning themselves. Uh, be careful. Sorry? You almost, uh, get, you know, spilled the, bin the beans. <laughs> right, right. That my journey to becoming a Ukrainian Nazi, right? Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, it, it, like, yeah, people weren't, I don't think, um, so active, actively questioning themselves in the way that I see it now. And so, I guess to fast forward uh, to 2022, I had sort of developed a reasonable understanding of Russian. Uh, I would never say that I could speak it, but I could definitely understand conversations happening around me. Um, and um, when I came in June uh, of 2022, I, I still had no intention of learning Ukrainian, despite really uh, coming to terms with uh, what this Really well. I mean, I spent a lot of time in Donbass in 2016, 17, 18, 19, but um, so I, I was well aware of the war, but uh, still didn't understand how insidious this Russian colonialism is. And so 
uh yeah i arrived in lviv and the first thing that i saw was these um those stupid little tour golf cart train things that go around the the main square um in lviv and uh they had crossed off russian as a as a choice of language to be toured in and uh, i had a little like smirk on my face and then i made my way into kiev and uh i i started to understand really quickly that if i wanted to um understand what is going on in ukraine and to understand how russian colonialism has impacted this whole region uh then i was going to need to decolonize my brain as well and so uh as as soon as i left i went back to australia because i had some stuff to deal with uh in august um i i i grabbed myself a, a ukrainian language teacher and uh, have put all of my efforts uh language wise into ukrainian to the point now where actually i used to feel um when people were speaking russian around me that i had like some kind of warm feeling in the past because i could understand them and ukrainian was foreign to me um and so it was kind of like this off limits <laughs> conversation and then now i'm at the point where actually my ukrainian has has probably surpassed my russian um and i'm decolonizing my brain i guess and i feel um like it's opened up a whole new perspective for me um and so i guess i'll i'll leave it there for now but happy to to dive deeper that's very interesting um the question that i asked that i didn't did not want to interrupt you when you were when you said you were studying russian uh the russian history sorry um at what point of your life did that happen and how did you study that Uh so I studied journalism at university uh and I took um international relations as a minor and so I um did a whole like slew of uh regional history uh courses and Russian was the first one I was kind of always intrigued by the way that the Soviet Union worked uh and I wanted to understand that because it was so foreign to me as an Australian um Yeah and so that I did this one course you know if I had Ukrainian as an option um I know that's probably going to start to spread now that um Timothy Snyder has started his courses which is great um I would have taken that too Timothy Snyder's courses are absolutely amazing. I'll put them up in the nest in a second. Uh they are so good. I like I just wish everyone watch them and i think uh unless you kind of unless you at least start familiarizing yourself with Timothy Snyder's work it's um, especially as a foreign person uh there there is no way you can understand um properly the context at least it, you know uh, without exploring lots and lots of um resources um that are different Oh god uh, it's um yeah it's very, it's a very typical um perspective what you are describing in the past people did not know the difference between Ukrainians and Russians and uh, when i moved to the uk for the longest time people would ask me whether ukraine is a part of uh, russia or whether um they didn't know uh, many of them didn't know if we were in the eu 
you know, like they they voted to leave it, but they didn't really know what was who was even in the EU, uh, and lots of so ignorant um, questions. Uh, even just before the full scale invasion began, I remember uh, like reaching out to one of my friends. He he is American. And uh, and he was like, "Why are you worrying? Aren't you part Russian?" And I was like, "No." Um, and he was like, "But you can speak Russian." And I said, "Yes, I can." <laughs> but but aren't you part Russian? Why would Russians kill their own people? And I was like, "Oh my God!" You know, it's such is the level of uh, it's the level of ignorance where you just want to scream. And um, something that's interesting that I noticed. After the full-scale invasion began, his humility did not improve much. I'm sorry to say this. So, uh, he, you know, it's a very typical thing when people just kind of conflate uh, groups of people when that, that really should not at this point be, uh, it shouldn't be confusing. Um, and he would, he would say stuff like when he, he would read some, um, you know, Elon Musk-level political commentary about Ukraine, and he would come back to me and say, guys, you know, this war needs to stop. You need to, um, you need, you need, you, you need your noobs back. And then, uh, then the war will stop. And I was like, what do you mean? And uh, he, his response would be, uh, NATO needs to give Ukraine the nukes back. Uh, you know, I tried to explain that it was not the NATO that Ukraine gave up, uh, our nuclear arsenal after the Budapest memorandum. But again, very often, like people, when they t- tell us um, their plan that they have for Ukraine, they just don't take into account neither the perspectives of Ukrainians nor the objective reality, you know. So, yeah, in terms of my uh, journey with Ukraine, I'll be super quick because I want to hear from Jason, who just joined us. Um, and I've also sent a couple invites to um few Ukrainians in the audience. I was born in eastern Ukraine, eastern central in Dnipropetrovsk uh, region. And I'm from a you know very poor Ukrainian family. Um we speak Ukrainian at home or in the past I guess that would be called Surshik. In school at school I was educated in Ukrainian. We barely had any Russian lessons at all. But we were surrounded by Russian there. It was pretty much everywhere. It was on TV. It was in the newspapers. And uh, I, you grow up and it's, um, it's kind of forced on you, um, whether you like it or not. And uh, also, there is this kind of underlying notion that you don't really, nobody says it out loud, but it's, um, it's like it kind of assumed that Ukrainian sounds um, like not not uh, cool enough, you know, and it's not by yourself as kind of inferior uh, to Russian for some reason. And now, like, I, I'm ashamed of uh, ever feeling that way, but um, that was something that was like, like subconsciously we were conditioned into it. And I guess that comes from the Soviet past when in order to, for example, I don't know, to be admitted to a good university and to, to get a good job, you needed um, to speak Russian. And uh, the, Ukrainian, the Ukrainian language went through uh, 
multiple different prohibitions. I made a thread yesterday about it. Uh, well, it was not uh, the content was not created by me, but um, the arranged translation, and uh, published it yesterday. And so it's it's um, amazing that it even survived um, after like centuries and centuries of uh, Russians trying to destroy it. And so I'm ashamed to say that lots of my life um, I would speak uh, Russian to my friends, to my Ukrainian friends, when I really didn't need to do that. And uh, yeah, looking back at it, I think it's important to acknowledge, like I don't, uh, um, <laughs> I, I own it, but it's, it's uh, with a lot of regret. It's probably the only regret that I really have in my life that I used to speak Russian that much. Uh, and uh, then things started changing. I cannot be, first of all, I cannot believe that after the revolution of dignity, I still didn't understand the importance of the language um, and still carried on to pretty much speak Russian just as often. And uh, things started to really change only after the 24th of uh, February, unfortunately. Uh, better late than never, I guess. So since then, I, I guess I've developed views that some uh, some people on Twitter today have been saying to me that it, they're too extreme, these views. But um, I do believe that when your uh, culture is being destroyed and Russians are targeting it on purpose, um, the first thing that they do when they occupy a Ukrainian town is to destroy everything Ukrainian that it has about it, every cultural site that they can um, get hold of, uh, like libraries, museums, um, Ukrainian-speaking raccoons, I guess. Uh, they stole them from Kherson. Uh, but, uh, I do, yeah, I don't understand how it's not kind of a natural response in that situation to be trying to preserve um, your your culture and your language in whatever way you can. So it's like, at first, in the beginning, like, my, my, my views over the last 10 months have been changing. So at first I was like, okay, it's, it's fine. It doesn't, like, if somebody doesn't want to learn Ukrainian, like, you know, fuck them, basically. Um, it doesn't doesn't matter to me. Um, but then I realized that it does matter. It does matter uh, that we save our language, that we save our culture. And when I was speaking to um, Ruslan, it's uh, this really cool guy that um, uh, Tanya and Bunny brought on the show a few weeks ago. He was speaking to me about our position and uh, kind of resistance, and it's uh, the the power of it. Uh, it's um, it's it's chances um, against the Russian imperialism in um, Belarus compared to Ukraine. And I asked him what it is that um, Ukrainians have about them uh, that people in Belarus have lost that is preventing them it's it's in the way of them successfully resisting uh the regime and he said to me that it's um it's the language and the more uh, the more time passes the more i understand that um he was um, very very uh, correct about this um when an empire is uh, colonizing a country the first thing that they want to take away is their identity their self the sense of self-determination right 
and when you take it away from them, the best way to do it is to remove their language. Um, Lina Kostenko, a very famous Ukrainian poet, very famously said uh, that nations don't die of uh, heart attacks. Uh, their speech uh, is taken away or lost first. And uh, so, yeah, that, that is how I, I basically radicalized into this uh, raging Ukrainian nationalist, uh, which is like ridiculous because I've, you know, I've never really had uh, like such uh, categorical views about anything. But this is something that I think is like, an, yeah, it's, it's crucial to our survival as a nation. So um, it's very important to preserve our language and to promote it um, and to to share it with others. And last uh, thing I'll say before um, Jason, uh, before I pass the uh, mic to Jason, is that very often this argument comes up. Uh, what about our people in the army? Um, like many people in the army speak uh, Russian. There is a, a lot of Russian speakers um, amongst uh, our defenders. That is true. Uh, it's true. But I don't think that anybody should be hiding uh, behind our defenders as an excuse uh, to, for their laziness. <laughs> so leave them alone, those guys uh, and, and girls and non-binary people. That's none of your business. What language they speak, do not use them. Do not, it's, I think it's pathetic and it's manipulative to be using them as a kind of shield to cover up your own uh, lack of uh, responsibility at this point, I'll put it this way, uh, lack of patriotism at the very crucial time for Ukraine. So people don't be lazy. If somebody is still, still speaking Russian, which I don't, looking at the audience, I don't think that's the case. I think you have like very based Ukrainians in here. Um, yeah, um, if um, people in the community from other countries are putting so much effort into learning Ukraine, um, he should be doing that too, and you can always make your Ukrainian better. Uh, it's very, it's so hypocritical of me that I'm even telling you all of this in, in English. <laughs> I'm pre preaching about Ukraine. <laughs> Hello, Sofika, привет. Привет. Hi. I actually have a different view on this. Um, I think uh, that. Um, it takes a long time to deconstruct everything that was put in our heads by Russia. Um, and I think that I wish we could societally just arrive at point B where uh, we have done the work already and we all speak Ukrainian and everything is <laughs> so like prosperous and everything. But... I think we need time to make steps and to grow and to reflect on things. Um, I do think that um, it must be supported by the state. Um, but I don't think that individuals should be blamed for what Russia did to us for generations. Like, I didn't arrive to this mindset and to pride of being Ukrainian easily it was a process <laughs> which I um, I counted I was reflecting on it and I think it took me eight years 
um, from the first time I actually experienced real Ukrainian culture and not a parody of it, as I saw it on television, uh, to the point where I was like, um, no, I need to delete <laughs> uh, everything Russian from my space, from my interests, from uh, the things, yes, I take interest in and I define myself by. Uh, so, and it wasn't an easy thing. I'm third generation <laughs> Russian speaker uh, on my father's side and second generation on my mother's side. And many people have situations that are even worse. So, um, yeah, and also um, a lot of refugees from Eastern Ukraine um, have lost so much um, because of Russia and they don't have illusions um, as for Russia and it's intense um, and they speak Russian because they're used to it and their fact of them speaking Russian doesn't mean that they support Russia but I think there also must be allowed space for them to I don't know, get their lives together um, and heal and then um, like make a priority to switch into Ukrainian because at the moment when you don't have food, when you don't have shelter, when your life has been uh, turned upside down, I don't think that for them mm, mentality, changing mentality, changing language is a priority. And so I don't want them to feel as guests in their own country mm. so yeah those are my thoughts um that's a very yeah imp very important point and uh, i want to clarify that i don't um i don't think um they should be blamed i don't think anyone uh should be blamed for um uh, uh, be being a uh, victim of uh russian colonialism uh what i meant um was that I don't I don't expect everyone to switch immediately. Like it's it's basically impossible if somebody is used to it. And I'm sorry, guys. I'm I'm gonna give you uh, the mic in a second. Um, what I meant instead was that um, there has to be what I would expect to see in especially in people from Eastern Ukraine uh, is that realization of the of the damage that. Um, this culture has brought upon us. And so um, I think that uh, Ukrainians who speak Ukrainian already, they should be uh, supportive of uh, people who are trying to switch to Ukraine. Very supportive. Like if somebody is putting effort into it, even if it doesn't matter if their Ukrainian is like uh, very, very imperfect, but it's like they, you know, they want to, uh, learn Ukrainian eventually and they are doing, you know, making baby steps towards that I think that should be highly, highly encouraged um, and uh, no one should be like making fun of them or anything and everybody should be supporting that those efforts um, but uh, it's yeah, it's not, it's not going to be easy it's not something that um, comes naturally when you've spoken Russian your whole life, uh, but yeah what I would expect to what i what i meant is that i don't quite understand people who still say that it does not matter 
um, you know what I mean? Like if somebody still hasn't realized what Russians are trying to do with their language, um, like using it as a weapon, um, that's concerning. And that's something that I think uh, uh, is really, yeah, it's dangerous uh, if somebody is, um, is not uh, complete, you know, completely in denial about, um, about the effects of that. Um, like if somebody, we have mindful reps, Masha, she lives in um, LA. She was born in Kiev and basically raised by parents who were, who were Batniks and they convinced her that she was Russian her whole life. She thought she was Russian. Um, she doesn't speak fluent Ukrainian yet. Um, and I loved her very much, um, but she is, you know, she's putting, this effort and she's uh, trying to pick up uh, Ukrainian whenever she can and um, that's beautiful of course she's you know um, she's not um, experienced uh, fortunately at some of the struggles that Ukrainians um, in in eastern Ukraine have been through um, but I think yeah um, I believe that um, those in particular should at least acknowledge um, that it's, it is it does matter and language is uh, political oh you manage 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 the hands you <laughs> between yourself guys uh, Jason has been waiting for ages we've been completely silencing him uh, but yeah let's let's hear from him and then well maybe Sofika had a response to to that because she did raise her hand so she can talk first and uh, she gets the, the Ukrainian priority. <laughs> no, I have a quick remark regarding the fact that I have never, not once, uh, faced myself or saw someone, a, like native Ukrainian speaker, reacting negatively to someone trying to speak Ukrainian. Uh, like, uh, they're very supportive. I haven't even heard of such a thing ever of like people being like, oh, you make mistakes, you shouldn't, you shouldn't try it. So that's not a thing. But I heard uh, people being possessive over their dialects, which is very funny to me because a lot of people from all over Ukraine moved uh, to Western part, to Lviv in particular and western ukraine has a lot of its very particular dialects and <laughs> i heard locals being like you moved here a month ago why are you stressing these words like this you don't do this usually why do you say ta 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 instead of talk why are you doing this no <laughs> i've heard this but it is more funny than like but, uh disturbing and i was like why are you like uh, you know i was really annoyed because ukrainians can start arguing over anything but i was like this is the most stupid reason to to accuse someone of it <laughs> someone was like oh she's not even been in Lviv for already says this and that <laughs> and i was like please get off your face jason is just getting silenced here jason please Cool. Yeah, your friend, their friends come, they, they, they move to Western Ukraine for like a week and they start saying Ked instead of Koli. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, uh, I'm not Ukrainian, but I moved to Ukraine in 2017 to study music uh, at a university. And I, uh, but just to make a long story short, I discovered Ukraine in around 2014, 2015 through music. Um, 
And I also met a few Ukrainians here uh, and they would explain things like, you know, everybody knows Ukrainian. They use it in school, at least my generation, I'm 28. So my generation and, and the one slightly before me, they use it in school. All the movies are in Ukrainian, uh, all shop signs, business, et cetera, et cetera, Ukrainian. But this person I knew and her family being from Kiev, they were like, in everyday language, generally we're speaking Russian, but they had no problem speaking Ukrainian. And since I listened to Ukrainian music, I understood that the art there, uh, even movies from the 60s and 70s, they were in Ukrainian. Um, and then when I when I studied there, the school, they told me that you're going to study Russian, that that's what the language that the foreigners uh, study. And I was like, OK, you know, I didn't I didn't have the understanding of the 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 political aspects of the language and the history of colonization and why people speak uh, Russian there. My understanding was, well, because it was part of the USSR, everybody there spoke Russian, um, but I didn't understand really the implications of that. But when I got there, they said, uh, actually the laws changed, uh, all foreigners also need to study Ukrainian, so you're gonna be taking Ukrainian classes here. And I was like, okay, you know, it, it didn't make that much of a difference to me at the time. I was just figured, I wanna learn a new language, whether it be Russian or Ukrainian, okay. But uh, quickly, very quickly realized like, okay, it's definitely um, advantageous for a foreigner to have a deeper understanding of Ukraine as a country and Ukrainian culture if they speak Ukrainian and not Russian. Um, that there is a very deep history of Ukrainian language here. Um, and so, yeah, I am thankful every day that I speak Ukrainian and not Russian. Um, and, but, and with that being said, I have, you know, I, I'm not going to take up hours of your time because I could literally come up with a list upon, you know, a very long list of examples. There have been many, and I was talking about them yesterday uh, with Tatiana, who's who's here. Um, there have been many times where I've been, I've felt like, out, I felt like the odd one out, or like I should be ashamed or embarrassed that I didn't understand things because everybody around me in a certain environment was speaking Russian including in school itself, university. Um, I know some universities uh, were stricter than others when it comes to using Ukrainian language, but it appears that music and maybe other artistic uh, areas of study, they are much more lax with their rules. All of the textbooks are these ancient uh, Soviet era textbooks that are all in Russian. Um, the teachers, they speak, it varies with the teachers. Either the teacher will ask like, oh, should we do the class in Ukrainian or Russian? And if I'm there, I'll be like, we got to do it in Ukrainian because I don't understand. Or they'll start speaking in Russian and I'll interrupt her and be like, hey, you know, sorry, but I don't, I don't speak Russian. So you're going to have to do it in Ukrainian. And sometimes they're immediately like, okay, that's fine. And other times they were like, well, you know, I'm not used to teaching in Ukrainian. I'm from... It's not my first language, but they would try. And there have been a couple of times where I've gotten kind of pushed back and I've really had to like have conversations with the teacher and be like, you have to understand that it's not, I don't like, it's not, I'm, I, I understand that I'm a guest here. I don't have jurisdiction over what language you speak, uh, but I'm not going to understand you if you do this class in Russian. 
and they'd be like, okay. And I'm super sorry. That was me. Honest mistake. Please carry on, Jason. <laughs> um, yeah, and then they would uh, do the class in Ukrainian. Um, and outside of that, you know, in terms of everyday living and the social uh, areas that I go in, I can count on one hand the amount of times I've spoken in Ukrainian and somebody hasn't been able to understand me, or uh, virtually never have they never been able to understand me. Usually there's maybe a problem if they don't feel comfortable responding in Ukrainian. Um, I've, but I've also had times where I've been at restaurants or at any place that involves customer service and they're speaking in Russian. And I'm like, can, you know, can you speak Ukrainian please? And, you know, once in a blue moon, it's kind of like, a, oh, I don't really, I don't really want to, or, you know, I'm not comfortable doing so. Um, and this varies from city to city as well. Uh, of course, so in the west of part of the country, never a problem, speak Ukrainian and everybody responds in Ukrainian. Kiev, 99.9% .9 of the time, they switch over when I ask them. Uh, Odessa, on the other hand, uh, a much different, uh, more nuanced situation. Um, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I don't wanna ramble on for too long, so that's all I'll say, but yeah. Thank you, thank you very much. Um, well, I don't even know who is next. Uh, Ola, I guess. And uh, Tanya is joining as well. Thank you very much. Um, I just wanted to say, to add to what Jason was saying and to make a smooth transition when um, Alona and Vika were mentioning that um, they were speaking Russian. Um, as uh, growing up, uh, Alona was speaking Surzik, which uh, I was speaking Surzik too when I was a kid. Um, however, we do use uh, quite a lot of uh, Russian words in our language. Uh, in, I'm from the central Ukraine, and we had quite a few words that we were using, like Utuch, for example, uh, and many other words. <laughs> Uh, like, uh, I didn't know there is another word for it. Like, meaning to iron something, to press something, right? So, yeah, well, I know the word now. <laughs> but that, that was the word that I grew up with and so many other words, right? So we had a lot of borrowed Russian words in our vocabulary. However, the base was Ukrainian language and majority of the words were still Ukrainian. I was surrounded by Ukrainian speakers, so I never learned Russian. Uh, I learned it kind of from TV, same like uh, Alona, because most of the movies were translated to Russian. Most of the shows on TV were Russian for a very long time. I went to school in 1991, so that was the year when Soviet Union fell apart. And I think like the first months of school, I actually had Russian language as uh, like once a week for one hour, but it was only for the first month. And we were basically learning the alphabet, which I forgot uh, the same moment I learned. So that didn't stick to me. And the first time I was forced to speak uh, Russian was actually when I went to Kiev for the first time. And uh, I wasn't strong enough 
I was still a teenager. I wasn't strong enough on my stand on Ukrainian. And everybody were like, Where, which village are you coming from? Like, why, why are you speaking? Are you from the West? And I was like, no, I'm actually like 200 kilometers away from Kiev. <laughs> and I'm not from a village, but would it make any difference if I'm coming from a city or a village? Like, what's the difference? But that's conveying to what Alona was mentioning earlier, that for whatever reason, the Russian narration was uh, that Ukrainian language is the language of uneducated villagers and farmers, but it's not the language of culture and education. However, uh, I went to university to study Ukrainian language, literature and culture. That was my first degree. And that was the moment when my Ukrainian awakening happened. I do believe that all my family members are patriots, but no um, radicalized ones like we all are now. Uh, they were very laid back about it. They never educated me much on the cultural traditions. They never like spoke bad about Russia. They never spoke bad about Russian language. And like my stepdad's first wife was Russian. And um, like it was kind of um, normalized to that extent that we didn't even see any bad in it. And like only when I started learning in the university, um, all our traditions, all customs, the language, um, history of the language, history of Ukraine to the deeper extent, not like what we studied at school, then I realized how actually oppressed we are in our own country. And on the other hand, something that I didn't pay attention before was when I already got my own income, my own money, I was already like 16, I think, and I was having a side job. And I was going to study for um, language and literature. So I wanted to bring my language to the better quality, right, level. Because I speak Surzik and I wanted to learn more. And learning more means you educate yourself by reading more, by listening more to the language and by practicing to speak language, clear Ukrainian language. So I was uh, going to the shops and trying to buy Ukrainian translation for the best-selling books, you know, the ones that everybody want to read now because it's bestseller and it's super popular and you wouldn't find the book in Ukrainian. You would, you would find it in Russian um, sometimes even you would find it in English if its original language is English, but you wouldn't find it in Ukrainian. Not even in Kiev, never mind in a smaller city. And like for Ukrainian speaker who wants to read book in Ukrainian, it still, even still is a challenge. Not every book you can find. And at that moment, the thing that surprised me the most was that Ukrainian authors were translated to Russia and sold in the bookstore. And I was like, but Panas Merne is Ukrainian. He wrote in Ukrainian language. Why do I have to read him in Russian translation? To me, that was like the first 
thing, like I was 17, I think at that moment. And I think that was the first time when I actually had this big red bell ringing in my brain and saying, this is very wrong. Like this is so wrong on so many levels and how and when this is gonna stop. And we did uh, have the revolution before the 2014, which was 2008. And that moment I thought, okay, now is the time when Ukraine gonna wake up and people gonna change, which happened for a very brief period, but didn't last it long. And then it was 2014, which uh, is more famous revolution. So the first one was called the Orange Revolution. And the second one, the Revolution of Dignity, the one that uh, a lot of uh, speakers relate to already. So in 2014, luckily, Ukraine did woke up, but not enough. And I really hope that this time, even though, though that people who were still undecided, who were still more comfortable speaking the language they used to speak, even they will wake up eventually. And um, also wanted to add to what Sofika was saying very briefly. I agree, you can't blame people, Russian speaking, Ukrainian speaking, Hungarian speaking, Ukrainians, or Romanian speaking, Ukrainians, or uh, the ones from um, Crimea that uh, try to preserve their own language. You can't blame them for not for being guilty that the war happened. They are not. However, what I don't like is when the people are making the statement, I can speak Ukrainian and Russian, however they say it in Russian. So you can speak both languages, you choose not to speak Ukrainian, you choose to speak Russian, then I have a problem. And yeah, I'm quite critical about this. Thank you. I just want to clarify that um, I didn't, you know, all the other languages uh, are very welcome uh, by, by myself personally in, and in Ukraine. I think, Tanya, you actually sent me a really cool thread that I put up in the nest about how, um, like, ethnic minorities languages are very welcome in Ukraine and in, Ukrainians, uh, in Ukrainian schools in particular. Uh, it's just a connotation of, uh, you know, Romanian and Hungarian and uh, every other language does not have the same connotation right now in Ukraine as Russian has. So that is why I kind of judge them <laughs> into, two different, into two different ways. Um, who is next? I don't remember. Sorry. Uh, I think I was next. Uh, I wanted to respond to what Jason said about uh, music uh, industry <laughs> education in Ukraine uh, and that I have the same experience. I went to music school, but it was like good 15 years ago. Um, and uh, we had subjects like foreign musical literature and Ukrainian musical literature, meaning we were studying composers from abroad and from Ukraine. And on foreign musical literature, we had a year where we went through like Bach, Mozart, Beethoven, um, Liszt, things like that. And then we switched to Russian composers. Like, so the rest, probably two, three years, uh, I was learning Russian <laughs> music literature, which is now I see as a huge gap in my education. And before I 
um, searched them out myself. I've never known anything about Wagner, about Mahler, uh, about Satie. So um, it was, <laughs> I don't know, I think it was intentional. And also we didn't have books for Ukrainian music literature. Uh, and uh, we had to write it down from our teacher, from her lectures. And we didn't have any additional materials. So um, I don't think that it was like malicious intent <laughs> on behalf of uh, that particular school. But I think it was definitely a consequence of the Soviet uh, policies regarding forgetting everything Ukrainian. Um, and uh, I also wanted to add to what Olya said about Surzhik. Um, I think there is a lot of, it's hard to explain to uh, anyone outside of Ukraine what Surzhik is, uh, because it's a very, if you don't speak it, um, I, for example, I spoke uh, clear Russian and clear Ukrainian, and I can't fake it. I can't fake Surzhik because it's a very complicated mix of grammar from both languages, from with like words from both languages and accents from both languages. So it's impossible to me. I can say some phrases which I've heard and which are funny to me, uh, in Surzhik, but I can't, you know, be persuasive <laughs> when I speak it. And so, uh, it is considered to be like a lower, lower version of of any languages. I don't know of any of either Russian or Ukrainian. Uh, but uh, there is a lot of code switching uh, among those who uh, grew up speaking Surzhik because uh, it's like I think. Uh, black Americans will understand what's that like when you speak um, African-American vernacular English at home and then you go to like the outside world and you, um, since your language is perceived as somehow like lower class, I don't know, or whatever, you have to switch to <laughs> more conventional English. So it's the same thing. Uh, and also, I have seen on many occasions, to, it's also to what Jason said, um, that teachers would refuse to switch to Ukrainian. It was a huge problem um, on the job, job market uh, when people would require uh, their potential employees to know Russian. And uh, when people would show up and speak Ukrainian and say, no, I don't speak Russian. Uh, I'm not good at it. I've never learned it. Well, I can, you know, <laughs> I can say a couple phrases, but I have a terrible accent. And, you know, this is not an effort I want to make. Uh, then they will uh, not um, employ them, despite like having all the important qualifications. So I think the discrimination for a long time worked um, not against Russian speakers in Ukraine, but against Ukrainian speakers in Ukraine. Hundred percent, and um, I've always mentioned that I've never experienced any discrimination when speaking Russian in Ukraine. But uh, you, it's, it was easy to, you know, kind of get people to uh, to have people laugh at you uh, because you're speaking Ukrainian. So that is actually the the, the real problem out of uh, out of uh, the, the two between Russian and Ukrainian. 
Um, I'm really sorry, Satika, that you don't you don't speak Surjik. Um, I really felt uh, you know empathetic, and I suggest that we start weekly Surjik lessons uh, to bring you up on speed. I think you can become fluent in Surjik. I think it's actually a genius fucking idea because nobody has ever done that. Nobody that I I know of has ever done Surjik lessons, and I think it would be a really cool community thing to do. It's just also a problem that it varies from region to region. You know, I can, I think I'm the closest to Surzik from Poltava, but like Surzik from Vinnitsa, for example, or Zhitomir is a different thing to me. Poltava is a dialect, it's not Surzik. Poltava is a Sandushi, it's not even a dialect. It depends who you're talking to. <laughs> Sometimes it, it depends. It depends. No, but I'm talking from perspective uh, of um, studying Ukrainian language and its history and the way it's built. So that's usually a dialect on the West, and Surzhik is a mix between Russian and Ukrainian. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, it's just um, my grandparents come from that region, and uh, um, I reflected um, a lot on which of their like accents and words were actually dialect, local dialect, and which was the consequence of like Russian policy on, <laughs> you know, promoting Russian speakers and so on. Yeah, who's next? Okay. Someone. Uh, I just have a, a small thing to add about the, the whole, um, about Surjik and my experience with it and things I've noticed um, is that, and maybe Olya being somebody who studied Ukra like the Ukrainian language in university can either correct or, or back up. But like, um, if you look at like, you can look at like folk songs from different regions of Ukraine as well uh, that I've seen. Um, and they use, you know, I would imagine the term surjik wasn't something that was used 100, 150 years ago or whatnot. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, though. But they use words that we don't use in everyday language anymore or words that when people use them, uh, at least somebody who's maybe less experienced with Ukrainian like like me, we assume that like, oh, they're just speaking surjik or they're a Russian speaker who's speaking Ukrainian, but they still throw in uh, Russian words in there. Like there was one Cossack song that we were learning uh, at a workshop and like they, the song, I, if I can find the lyrics or find the paper, I'll, I'll look it up. But like, for example, they were using like the word Hoda instead of Rik. Uh, they were saying Idiot instead of Idut um, and things like that. But very much it was still like the endings of the verbs were the, and, um, other identifying marks of uh, Ukrainian language. Yeah, can I can I adapt it to that quickly? Um, there is this thing I um, went to Shevchenko University in Kiev, and I had an honor of like um, having the most um, famous professor of Ukrainian as my teacher. And he has like absolute authority um, in Ukrainian. And we would discuss with him <laughs> that uh, in Ukrainian, it's very difficult difficult to know how the words are stressed. Um, it is not like in French, you know, when you always stress the last 
um, syllable. Uh, so uh, it's it, it varies. And so sometimes you just say it and hope for the best. Uh, and uh, there are words where you don't know whether you said it right or wrong, or was it a dialect? Like, uh, for example, the word vypadok. Uh, it's um, like an accident. And when I, uh, people usually, it's a very common mistake, they say vypadok. Uh, and if I say it, I'm from central Ukraine, it is a mistake. But if someone from western Ukraine says vypadok, it is a dialect. And so, and so it is so unfair, so unfair. They get a pass for saying things. And also how um, people say certain sounds, like in Ukrainian, um, uh, soft sounds um, are not... I don't know how to describe it. Like uh, the verbs end in tu and du. And in Russian speakers, usually say it more to the front t's, uh, like tu, du, no, tu, du like this uh and people in the western ukraine also say this say it like this and so for them it's like uh an accent that um is peculiar like particular to their region to their dialect and for me it is a trauma of being a russian speaker so <laughs> it's complicated here Good luck to anyone who <laughs> uh, who tries to learn it. Really, you'll need it. Who was next? Uh, I guess I could go. Um, I was just going to ask you guys actually what your perspective on... Um, if you want to think of it as like uh, foreign countries learning Ukrainian versus Russian, I know here in the States, like I could probably count on my hand the number of schools in my state that offer Ukrainian as a language option to learn. And, you know, I don't know any if you anybody in here has been through like the state's education system, but that's often how you learn, excuse me, about another culture's like traditions and culture right like by the time you get to kind of level two level three you're taking like an exchange trip and stuff and so uh that's just been my experience and i it, it was hard for me to find you know places where i could go learn i mean you, you can find private tutors yes but finding it in the education system i feel like it's much more difficult um in the west and i think that's a piece of this right actually who wants to take this question Jimmy? Oh, yeah, I can take this. Uh, like exposure. I'm married to a um, uh, someone who was born in Canada, but her first language was Ukrainian. She teaches Ukrainian at, the U of a, at a university level. Uh, and I've had a hard time learning Ukrainian because you have someone who can do all your hard lifting, heavy lifting for you when you go traveling and stuff. Uh, trying to be plugged into um, language or being exposed to language. Uh yeah, it's hard to say. There's there's like language camps uh, in the summer you can go to. It's more geared towards like teenagers and um, university students. But um, outside of that, like news is like watching the news, trying to force yourself just to, even if you don't know all of it, to um, pick it up. Uh, my kid goes to like Ukrainian bilingual school in, in Canada here. And um, 
<laughs> having a kid that's learning Ukrainian while you are learning Ukrainian uh, is quite helpful. So um, pro tip, uh, have a kid and get them spe- uh, learning Ukrainian because it makes it a lot easier. Um, that is the worst tip that I've heard in my life for learning Ukrainian. No, have a baby, have a baby, put them in Ukrainian school and you will learn Ukrainian alongside of them at the same, you'll begin at the remedial level and um, it's, it's the best possible way. The it's the only way. You know that that's way more expensive than actually just taking <laughs> private Ukrainian lessons, right? Uh, um, oh, that's debatable. That's debatable. I don't, I don't, it's, well, it's debatable. You'll, you'll run out of private Ukrainian lessons and the child is with you for life. Exactly, exactly. So, um, actually, probably the best way, honestly, is um, uh, if you have, like, if you can find someone who doesn't speak English, like, actually, like, I own a business and my, all my, um, I have cleaners that are from Ukraine that are recent arrivals and they don't speak English. And so, it, like, it forces you to, um, to use the language, like, and that's, that, that's, that's just, like, turning the switch to 10, basically. It, like, it, like, being forced to understand each other in a common language is the best possible thing. So, yeah, having, having someone that speaks Ukrainian and English is, like, a, uh, it's a, very defeating it doesn't help much at all so i i pay pay through the nose for these ukrainian cleaners but uh but i it's like secretly i i have them so i can learn and use ukrainian it's quite quite helpful so um aside from that um yeah it's kind of a you have to force yourself and not take any shortcuts and um it's uh it's there's always you know there's always translation things that you can use and it helps a little bit but it's cheating and you still have to force yourself to, um, but yeah, having someone that you can speak to in Ukrainian, um, is, is that like the for speaking, the problem here in, in university too, is like you're reading. So you can read, you can read newspapers in Ukrainian quite easily first before you can speak it. I find when you're taking classes as well, and that's good, but, but you end up in a situation where you can travel through Ukraine and you can understand everything, everything, everyone's speaking to you in Ukrainian, but you can't converse back very easily. It's because you have to take your thoughts and make them Ukrainian and then spit them out quickly. And uh, that's more complicated. So there's quite a psychology to, to learn, psychological process to learning it, uh, the language being a English speaker. But um, yeah, I was just going to add uh, my experience um, I've been to Ukraine twice and, um, not in the last 10 years, but, uh, being someone that doesn't speak Russian at all. And, um, and I'm like conversational in Ukrainian, uh, in 2008, I uh, went to Kiev and, um, I'm not sure if Ukrainians are like native Ukrainians are aware of this phenomenon of, um, if you go to Ukraine and you inter- uh, encounter someone who only speaks Russian, and doesn't want to speak Ukrainian, how uh, traumatic it is. Um, I, within a few days of being in Kiev, I had someone spit on me uh, for, for not being able to speak uh, Russian. And uh, I would be perfectly happy going back to Ukraine and never <laughs> setting foot in that city again, to be honest. Uh, I know things have changed, but um, uh, yeah, it's just like, I, I personally consider um, people who speak, who live in Ukraine and speak, Speak Russian and refuse to even try to speak in Ukrainian. Not just a, a linguistic 
default, but it's like a, there's this sort of something about their character or their being or their soul that's like empty. If they if they, if they get pissed off at you for speaking Ukrainian in Ukraine, uh, this is my personal uh, experience, and I know things are are different now. Obviously, since especially since 2014, my wife thinks that um, at least there's hope for Ukraine now. Before she had no hope um, before the war. So. You know, thanks, Putin. You're the number one supporter of Ukrainian language in Ukraine. Uh, you've done things for the language that no one else could have ever done. So, uh, bravo to you. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 crazy because you think of two like the Canadians, Ukrainians from Ukraine that came to Canada. Um, a lot of I hear all these stories about how most of the people here, um, their parents were um, teachers from Ukraine and. Uh, a lot of them, a lot of them were in like these like Soviet little black books. So that when the Soviet Union invaded these Western Ukrainian towns, uh, they were disappeared in the night. I've got, I don't want to talk about the stories, but you know what I'm talking about, right? And so there's a this additional traumatic component to uh, the meaning of language to people from in the diaspora. So, um, yeah, it's quite uh, it's heavy topic but anyway i just wanted to share that um idea there's that aspect to it for other people so jaku thank you so much and um i wanted to add uh, for viva that language it's obviously the language you are absorbing a certain culture right and um someone has a hot mic um and um it depends what culture you want to absorb, right? And we've seen uh, this year, I think it's become pretty clear to everyone. Um, if that was not clear before, unfortunately, even not even to Ukrainians, um, that the Russian culture, it's uh, genocide, it's murder, it's uh, violence, um, senseless, stupid violence. And so uh, that is why I think it's um, um, like, it's not something that you want to absorb. <laughs> um, and uh, with the language, you're not only learning to speak, but you also uh, get access to um, that language's art, right? Um, to the literature, to the music and so on. And I think that it just should be like a matter of uh, solidarity, I guess, to just boycott um, everything Russian and to not be paying to Russian language tutors um, to kind of not be perpetuating this culture. So, yeah, I'll, I'll stop here. Um, can I add just uh, the quick note um, for... Um, I've seen a lot of cases of people moving to Canada or the ones who spent the last eight years in occupied Crimea or in Donbass region are uh, who have Russian passports and supported Russian aggression. But now, since uh, the beginning of the war, there are perks, let's call it that, of being a Ukrainian refugee. They have suddenly rediscovered their Ukrainian identity uh, and decided to, you know, to have a, to try for, and have a better life. I don't know how to treat those people, how to find them, except when there are like there is like real photographic evidence uh, of them on Russian rallies um, and you know promoting Russian world as they call it. Uh, but I don't know. It it hurts me. Mm. 
that this is the reality and I don't want people to look at them and think that they are Ukrainians, that they represent Ukraine in any way. Uh, and as for language, I wanted to add that this is why I think it's vital that the state is involved because a lot of things that were um, made into laws in Ukraine that were required by law, that were met with a lot of um, like protest even in Ukraine um, turned out to be uh, to great benefit. I remember in uh, 2004, I think it was, um, after the Orange, Orange Revolution, uh, our uh, president made it into law that films uh, and cinemas must be translated into Ukrainian. And then later on, um, Ukraine books um, in Ukrainian, translations in Ukrainian were subsidized and um, Russian books were, um, they had to pay like additional tax. And so it was much cheaper to buy Ukrainian books and to buy Russian books. And it was also first met with like an outrage. <laughs> but later on, it was, it turned out to be a great idea and as I read both Russian and Ukrainian translations, I've noticed that Russian translations are fucking awful, like really awful. They're so lazy. Um, they don't pay attention to author's style, to um, what was his, his intent, because they have never had a rival, you know, um, like... Um, uh, I think it is an important thing for Gross to um, understand that you have to do better. And Ukrainian translations were always see seen as lesser until we understood that they are fucking amazing. Ukrainian translation of Harry Potter is a, a separate, a completely <laughs> different from original Harry Potter book uh, wor worth reading just for the amount of effort put into it. And uh, just the artful work done by interpreters, um, yes. And also Ukrainian swear, like curse words are extremely funny. And um, just this like dirty humor is usually not about like sex and intimate body parts, but more about... Um, <laughs> like metaphors in which to describe it i don't know if it'll make sense to you and so uh it is incredibly funny and i think the funniest thing i've ever saw in ukrainian was a film called uh Prebulic pavlo it is a stupid stupid film um but it's um i think it's just called paul in english it's about an alien and like two dudes who saw them first, but the Ukrainian translation makes it, 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 he swears a lot in there, and it just makes it a masterpiece. And that was the film that persuaded me <laughs> that the Ukrainian translation is a separate art form in itself. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I think that the state must take leading role, and uh, uh, it is more important than like shaming individuals into switching to Ukrainian. Uh, I think it's far more effective because you can't shame person into making any decision. No, we need uh, right? Soft Ukraini Ukrainization. 
<laughs> Who is next, Tom? Yeah, sure. I can just jump in. I just wanted to um, to jump onto that soft Ukrainianization uh, concept because I think it is important in the conversations that I've had uh, with Ukrainians here. Um, I've heard stories, some some pretty sad stories. Uh, one that I'll just mention um, is a single mother um, of two kids, dog, and a couple of her cousins who were like 12, 15 years old. Her name's Yulia. She was from Donetsk, um, originally moved in 2014 um, to Mariupol, and then subsequently moved to um, Konstantinivka. Uh, I say these places are not just Donbass because I think that um, it's important to um, not try and present this as some sort of homogenous region, um, but these, there are these separate villages. And as you guys have mentioned, there are different dialects, different Surjik across the country. Um, but obviously they're Russian speakers. Um, I met her on a train from uh, Lviv to Kiev and uh Actually, our conversation started because uh, we had a funny interaction where um, she said spasiba to um, the um, train attendant. Uh, and um, the response was that uh, she should say Dyakuyu. And, um, you know, she apologized and said Dyakuyu, actually. And I, like, smirked at her because I have, like, spoken. Um, I was actually chatting to them uh, in Russian. And... Um, and she said Yaku, and she's a very respectful person, totally normal pro-Ukrainian, um, but native Russian speaking. And um, when I asked her why she was traveling from Lviv to Kiev, she said that it was because uh, actually her patients, um, she, I, I can't remember who spoke earlier, saying that we don't want these people to feel like foreigners in their own country. But basically she was saying that her patients had been eroded um, by the number of people who had um, caught her in situations where she was stressed, uh, which, given her situation, was she was explaining all the time, uh, she would accidentally default to Russian in Lviv, uh, and um, she felt that as though it would be better for her um, and her family uh, to be in Kiev. And I think that's a, an unfortunate um kind of overreaction um, because, yeah, we want it. These are people that want to go on that journey, that feel Ukrainian, that understand the significance of Ukrainian language, but not in all, um, you know, moments in their life can they keep that front of mind. And I think that's one thing that I would say to the English, uh, to the foreigners coming here, expecting that because they don't know any Russian, uh, that it's absurd that Ukrainians that there are Ukrainians that exist in Ukraine who um, speak Russian um, or who at least default to Russian. I'm not sure about this spitting um, situation. It sounds horrible, but I, I honestly can't imagine that happening in today's Kiev. No Ukrainian is going to spit on, on you for speaking uh, Ukrainian or Russian. Um, but, um, yeah, I think that the conversation that I had with her was really, um, in really made an impression on me because this was somebody whose actions were really doing the talking, right? Like she had gone uh, at that time, this was in June, by the way, where Lviv was uh, considered to be the safe place in Ukraine and Kiev was still under the odd rocket attack. And so she was 
you know, with her actions, she was showing that she would prefer to be in a slightly less safe place physically um, just to have the comfort of not being in a situation where um, she was more likely to be uh, looked at funny at the very least um, for speaking Russian to her family or for accidentally defaulting to Russian in a stress stressful situation. I mean, I've spoken to you about this story before and uh, my my position was that like I, it's hard to judge without actually having having been there and knowing what happened. Um, the only thing I'll say is that um, the reason why would uh, why some people could be um, annoyed by hearing Russian is because for for many it's become simply traumatizing to hear this language, and so like when I hear Russian on the streets in 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 the UK, it's. Um, it's it's very unpleasant and it can be for some people it can be very very triggering to hear the sound of it so that is just something to take into account um when when you um are considering their reactions but again yeah i um don't don't know what really uh, happened here so i'll stop who is next i wasn't following the hands i'm sorry Um, if no one's speaking, can I add uh, something? Uh, well, I think that there is, um, like in Ukraine, there are 40 million people. Of course, some of them are fucking crazy. Um, and I think it's okay. <laughs> like, there are crazy people everywhere who will, I don't know, spit on you. Maybe, I don't know, maybe they didn't, I don't know, get get sugar into their coffee in the morning. And so they're mad at the, the whole world now like there are crazy people and there will be crazy people it's just important not to see one crazy person who is ukrainian and then assume all ukrainians are crazy uh and that's a narrative i think um that should be more in the west because um like um, we praise ourselves with not being as homophobic or racist as russians are um, but at the same time, I don't think that Ukrainian has to be a post poster child for all things good to deserve protection from genocide. Like, of course, we have uh, homophobes and Nazis and racists, but they are not, first of all, their percentage is so irrelevant, probably the lowest in Europe. And second of all, uh, they don't matter. <laughs> Because I think that, say, protecting people from a genocide is far more important than, like, considering, oh, are those people, <laughs> like, can they fool this questionnaire on <laughs> what ideas they support and what ideas they don't support? Uh, yeah, I, I was actually going to say exactly what Sofika said, that... Uh, Look, Ukraine is not perfect. Is the country with its own problems, same like every single country. It's very unfair to either put us on the pedestal and say, oh, Ukrainian are like super people because I saw a lot of tweets going out there and that's going to hurt us at the end too, because we're not. And then people who do put so much additional pressure on Ukrainians who are already struggling to defend their country, to defend their family, to defend themselves, 
they on top of that have to be somehow perfect, which none of us is. But that creates like another layer of pressure, which is uncalled for. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be um, super people with some superpowers to deserve to leave, to be our own country and to be our own nation and to keep our own language and our own culture. We don't have to. Non-countries have to. It's just not fair. And on the other hand, I do appreciate that uh, belief in Ukraine that, uh, well, they are how, how you think they are. They are not. Like we do have uh, the fact that you see a lot of soldiers and they are doing a phenomenal job and we don't say anything bad about our soldiers, if you notice. However, even in the soldiers, this, there's a cut of society, right? And the society is different. In every country, the society is different. And like Sofika mentioned, some of them are homophobic, some of them are racist, some of them are um, super religious, the others are atheists, whatever. Uh, very right, very left, um, pro-Zelensky, against Zelensky. Like in every single society, you have all those types of people, and that's normal. It's normal to have society different. That just shows that the society is democratic and it's all about how um, society is um, endorsing those people who are disregarding the society norms. Like, at least from where I'm coming from and from my personal bubble, I don't have people who support any of those radicalized views or any of those people who are um, very aggressive in their racism or whichever question. And it's important to know that the society is actually not tolerating that. And they are minority, like uh, Sofika said. And um, I was really hurt to hear from Jim that he was spit on, the Tom's story that he shared. Thank you very much about this woman that was moving to Lviv. Um, it's sad to hear those stories. However, I would like to say that it's very few of those stories. And it's not usually the case. But unfortunately, people like this can be on your way. And I would ask everyone, whenever you come to Ukraine, because I'm sure you would all want to come to Ukraine one day, and I hope you all will. Um, when you come to Ukraine, give it another try if you did meet a person like this. Because I don't believe in miracles. I don't think that once the war is over, everybody will turn to pure, kind-hearted, uh, very positive and very patriotic people. We're still going to have those. And if you do happen to come across that person, don't make your judgment right away and go and meet the second person and then the third one. And then make... Th that's how the statistic is being done. That's how all the questionnaires and the reports are being done. You take the majority and then you make your conclusion. So give it another try. 
and don't take first person that offended you or mistreated you as an example that that's how I will be treated in this country and that's what this country is all about. It's not true and it's not fair. Thank you. Um, and I'll, I'll, just, I'll also just add that at least the Kiev I know from 2017 to today, um, it's one of the better places to be for understanding maybe the country as a whole because it is the capital and you do have people from all corners of the country. I'm super sorry. That was me again. That's totally my fault. I apologize. Okay. Second um, time you do Jason, have people from I all... kind of guess there should be yeah. tendency there. I'm, I'm hearing, I'm, I'm sensing some sort of, uh, some sort of spite here. Um, no, just kidding. Um, but yeah, you do get people coming from all corners of the of the country to go to Kiev because it's the capital, because it's work. And so if you live there and if you're a part of, you know, any social circles or if you go to bars or whatever, you'll meet people from Ukrainians from all walks of life, all different sorts of experience in a very mixed demographic. Um, and it And it helps you understand how people there's a lot of very different types of people in ukraine that you know there's a lot of nuances between people geographically um that's changed of course i mean especially at this moment everybody's much more united right but you know sometimes people don't get along with other people because of where they're from it's not like a big problem but you you hear it when you talk to people sometimes and you get and that you know kiev helps you get a better impression i feel can I just pop in very quickly and just bear in mind that Ukraine is one of the biggest countries in Europe. It actually phys physically is the biggest one. And we have over 40 million population. So it's not like a tiny little country that you just uh, run across. You spend days crossing this country. So obviously there will be difference between the West and the East, the South and the North, the center. Same like in every country, if you go to the United States and if you go from state to state, people will differ. I've been to many states in the United States and I noticed a lot of difference, like culturally, language wise, etc. So, yeah, it's exactly the same in Ukraine. It's big country. Thank you. Do you mind, excuse me, do you mind if I step in real quick? Um, okay, I'm just going to go. Um, so for me, uh, I had basically zero exposure to the Ukrainian language before February 24th. Um, I obviously knew about Ukraine before then. Uh, but in my case, um, I sort of wanted to circumvent the Western news media entirely because uh, I was getting my news from Reddit. So I was getting bits and pieces of the story right but it was in a very westernized lens and it wasn't being presented in any sort of media package um so i just joined a pen pal site online basically um and just punched in like i want to learn ukrainian right and uh put that i'm willing to teach people like native english and um you know i'm from ohio so i have a very generic accent it's very uh basic there's no I'm fairly easy to understand, I guess, is the easy way to say it. Um, there's not, it's not too heavy. Um, and at first on this pen pal side, I just engaged with most of my friends in text form because there's no like 
you know, it's not like Telegram where you can just send voice chats real easily. Um, some of these sites have those features, but the one I was on initially did not. Um, and this was really early in the war. So this was like um, probably maybe early March, like March 5th into like early April. Um, and I literally just made contact with like a hundred different Ukrainians, you know what I mean? Like all over the whole country. Um, and I was blessed that I met ones that really educated me really early on um, into sort of being able to better identify um, what I would say is someone who has like maybe a, like a Ukrainian spirit would be the best way to say it, um, who could educate me more on the Ukrainian culture and the language. Um, not necessarily, I would say, a geographical thing or um, their education thing. Uh, and because of this, I realized sort of the importance of um, learn like learning Ukrainian versus learning Russian as a as a foreign speaker, right? And I'm telling you guys, the number like this is literally how these conversations went, like privit, you know, privit, and then they're like, why why are you wanting to learn Ukrainian? And and that like when when 80 people ask you that, like you you kind of realize like that it's foreign to them that a foreigner is learning their language, if that makes sense. Like it's not it's not uncommon right it, it's not super rare but like uh it, it kind of struck me as um a reason to learn the language you know what i mean to really dive into it and try and understand it and what i would say is that because i've been on twitter trying to fight like the info war uh i personally have not had the time to develop vocabulary very well for example um but it's funny you guys were talking about you know lahidna ukrainizatia and uh, that's the name of the Telegram channel that my current Ukrainian teacher created uh, because we're doing it in a way where like I'm just picking YouTube songs and like that I that I'm literally listening to like all the time. Right. So it's like I'm hearing the language. Right. And it's helping me form like I, I sort of feel like I'm a five year old, if that makes sense. Right. I'm like a five year old. I'm hearing my mom and my dad talk to me, but I don't know what they're saying but I, I can mimic it. Right. And so that's what I try and do. So I just like listen to the music and I, I sort of mimic it. And that, that helps my pronunciation. I don't even know what I'm saying. Like 90% of the time, I, I am not kidding you. Like I, I will hear a song. I'll like the song and then I'll keep listening to the song and then I'll go look up the translation. And then my mind's blown even more because like, I already like every aspect of the song, the beats great. The, the, the lyrics flow really nice because, you know, Ukrainian is a very melodic language and it just, you know, uh, in music form, it really made me appreciate it, I think, a lot more. And especially with the war going on, um, there's amazing, amazing, amazing music videos out there. Um, if anybody in here hasn't seen um, like Kalush um, Eurovision, like their actual music video for it, watch it. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, the first song I learned was Oyu Luzi, right? Um, and then after that, I learned um, actually Moskail Nikolai Silvi. And, um, you know, it's kind of two different, that's kind of two different sides of that. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're learning a very patriotic song and then you're learning a very like, fuck you Russia song. But it gave me a good uh, baseline sort of. Um, and so for me, like I, I'm not focusing on trying to develop 10,000 words right now because I don't have the time personally either. Like I just don't, I'm, I'm trying to do it when I can. Um, but the reality is I'm actually having to take that under my own belt a little bit because 
you know, the power situation in Ukraine, like my Ukrainian teacher is in Ukraine. So there's, there's internet problems, there's power problems. So it's, it's hit or miss. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll say this as somebody who tried to learn a language in high school, which was Spanish, which is significantly easier to learn for a native English speaker than Ukrainian. Um, while I don't know that I know more words in Ukrainian yet, I'm much more immersed in the culture and the music and like, I'm learning it that way instead of just trying to like book learn it. And I feel like that's where you, you take learning language as a journey, right? It's not something that you're just going to sit down for six months and be like, yo, I know this language. I'm just going to be able to speak perfectly with everyone. Like, no, you're not. Cause you're not going to know the nuances of it. And just the only one more point that I would add is, um, you know, I made a lot of friends off this pen pal site. We moved to telegram and I talked to them like daily and I mean, I have friends who speak, you know, Sergic. Sergic, is that correct? Someone correct me if I'm wrong. But um, uh, yeah, so I have friends who speak Sergic, and he and like he'll tell me he's like, I don't like speaking Sergic. <laughs> like I do not enjoy this. I mean, he can speak English pretty well to me. I'm pretty sure he can speak Russian fine. He can speak Ukrainian fine. But because of his living situation, he's kind of this self-sufficient guy. He wants to live on a farm and do stuff himself. It's just his living situation where he is. And so like, that's the language he uses. And so, you know, I think that's an interesting element too, that's probably going to change over time. Like, you know, who knows where that's going to go, but yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Um, but, you know, I'm extra thankful for the Ukrainian teachers that I've had as well, because uh, they've had patience with me a lot. And, um, and they've, they've both shown interest in like learning English as well. So it feels sort of like a collaboration to, you know, sort of, I guess, bring our cultures together, right? Uh, I wanted to respond to this quickly because um, what you're talking about, like people being surprised that foreigners would be interested in learning Ukrainian is like the best example of the thing that we call menshvartist, mm -hmm. which is like literally translates into uh, being worth less. Um that's what we were taught by Russia constantly that, uh, you know, Ukrainian is this like funny language spoken in the village. Like uh, it is not language of culture. There is Russian, great Russian culture. And then there is this like funny songs in Ukrainian that there is no traditional costume. There is this uh, insult of a clothing that people wear on stage when they are coded as Ukrainian. Um, and so I remember myself being surprised when people told me that they learn Ukrainian and it was way too recently <laughs> for comfort. Um, so yeah, there is a lot of internalized feeling of being lesser. Um, and that is something that we need to work on. And as for, uh, you mentioned like what about like incense into what is, um, what it means to be Ukrainian. <laughs> I was thinking about it so much, and the only answer I have is that Ukrainian people, the only um, trait we all share is this um, like unyielding disrespect for any authority, like political, scientific, like, no, no, I have my own head, um, no, and like you can try to persuade me of anything, 
but I know better. <laughs> and so there are even like problems like the two Ukrainians, like where there are two Ukrainians, there are three leaders and Ukrainians always know better. There is a lot of this like football fan quality to Ukrainians where all the fans would have done it better than actual players. Um, so <laughs> Ukrainians know how to run this country. But at the same time, I love this because uh, it's really complete opposite from Russia. Uh, there is no way to reconcile this quality about Ukrainians and what Russians are. They hold power as like political power as like being given directly by God and unquestioned and unconditional. And Ukrainians see themselves as I provide you power on many, many conditions. And if you break them, I will take it back, Um, which I think is a very healthy attitude. And as for also, (laughs) there are 40 million people and it is a huge illusion that there is or there can be any consensus among Ukrainians. Uh, I very recently talked to my best friend, so we are very close, so we should have been on the same page, I guess. But we were discussing what should happen to Russia after Ukrainian victory. And I was like, well, we should, like, very political about it, like, we should concentrate on justice and reparations. And it is vital because the way we handle this will define world security for decades to come and it sets a precedent and blah 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 and she was like moscow drakaris like burn (laughs) i don't care and i'm like oh honey it's like 12 million people and it is really not a good look and she's like i don't care drakaris (laughs) like she was unwavering (laughs) i want moscow to burn and so, um, yeah, there is no consensus. There is no Ukra- the Ukrainian experience uh, of war or the Ukrainian position on things. There is a lot of debate among Ukrainians, and it is very valid and ongoing. Hundred percent. I need to be introduced to your friend. I feel like she's. Uh... I feel like we would get along well. Uh, uh, guys. She's our... an icon. She's a queen. Amazing. <laughs> I, I had no doubt after I heard from, about her. Uh, I will have to be wrapping up in about five minutes, but you are very welcome, obviously, to start a new space, whoever wants to do that, uh, just because I've got, uh, got some stuff to prepare for tomorrow. So, yeah. Um, closing comments from uh, the three hands, please. Um wasn't first, so you go, Olya. Thank you, Jason. Sorry. Um, no, I just wanted a very brief uh, note. Uh, so if you are interested in Ukrainian language, my recommendations are Oksana Zabushko, Lina Kostenko. Uh, you can even start with Pavlova Shebaba, which is the Ukrainian soldier. He writes the poems. He's quite um, popular right now. So you can start with him because that's the closest topic um, to you if you are just uh, starting to explore Ukraine. And then you can go to Lina Kostenko and Oksana Zabushko. Both of them are alive and well. Both of them are living together with us. And both of them are phenomenal. 
in the master of Ukrainian language and how they describe things, what language they choose, the amount of synonyms for one word I've never experienced before as from them, and really the beauty of rhyming of the language and usage of the language. So that's just my recommendations if you are interested. And also I wanted to add one thing that uh, Russia put the banner on um, uh, on the theater in Mariupol, the one that they bombed, and the banner has some Russian uh, authors there and Shevchenko. Uh, I don't know, Shevchenko probably is turning in his grave that they put him there and they have no right to use him there. And Shevchenko is Ukrainian spirit. He is our um, guide. He was one of the few who was in Russia and he was fighting for Ukraine in his poems. And I don't know Ukrainian household that doesn't have his book. Therefore, Shevchenko would be your next step after you learn some of the current uh, modern uh, poets and writers, and then you would go to Shevchenko. And reading Shevchenko, you will understand everything about Ukraine. Thank you. And once you're done with the old Shevchenko, you can always open Twitter and read the new Shevchenko guide. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, Jimmy? Oh, uh, Gill, um, what was the um, Telegram channel that you said you were, um, one of your Ukrainian teachers created? Uh, I just I missed the, what the name was. Okay. Oh, I mean, I can't pronounce it, but it's just gentle Ukrainization. It's not a like an actual um, like public channel. She just named the Telegram channel that, like, we use that separate from our private chat so that I don't get <laughs> lost in the conversation okay, okay. you know what i mean okay i was so, sure if it's an open channel uh, but cool. but she is on twitter so i can like introduce you if you are interested in using like if you if you need a teacher now that being said like i said she's in ukraine so you know that might be difficult from a scheduling standpoint as well so it's not a problem i'm up till 3 a.m <laughs> often um i just wanted to address the um that experience that uh Jimmy, can, can oh, go ahead. everybody hear you or is it just... Can you hear me? I can yeah, hear him. Can. Okay, um, well, I cannot. <laughs> you can't I hear me? I just want to close the space. Uh, yeah, we can hear Jimmy pretty well. Oh. <laughs> um, I was just going to mention the um, that experience I had in Kiev. Um, it was the second day that we were there and we were trying to rent a flat from some woman who was probably in her 50s or 60s and um we were trying to communicate in ukrainian and she just kept speaking back to us in russian and we couldn't understand each other and she would just start talking louder and louder and faster and faster until the point where she was just yelling at us and we just she gave up and spat on us and walked away so that was the i i don't hold that against all ukrainians but that attitude is very indicative to me of um uh my wife um She's a Ukrainian folklore uh, PhD, and she talks about um, this concept of Malorossia or Malorossiani. Uh, like you think of like the people that went to Crimea after 2014, like musicians, uh, people like um, like the, the village my family's from is Kitsman. It's the 
village of um uh what's that musician's name uh Trevor Naruto guy uh, I can't remember his name um anyway, there's another uh Ivisuk, yeah of course right I I'm dyslexic uh, okay, anyway um uh so Ivisuk, uh in the same village there's um um what's her name Carolina uh what the hell? Uh, don't pronounce another this name musician. yeah I know okay anyway uh you know what I'm talking about it's this this thing of like there's two Ukraines right and um and they're kind of at war with each other and even in in Shevchenko's time there was uh Nikolai Gogol or Hohol um he Shevchenko gave uh Hohol uh like shit for using Russian instead of Ukrainian like in 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 his time this is the 1860s right and um so this has been going on for a long time uh it's never going to end and I'm fully aware of that but um Yeah, everyone's hopeful for the future that things will be better uh, for Ukrainian language. So I just want to leave it on that. That's that's really interesting. The story because the the quick little story that I I'm going to tell uh, in just a minute is directly related to looking for apartments. And I don't know if it. I mean, it also relates to the way times have changed in just the past you know fourteen fifteen years. But maybe it's also because I'm from New York and I'm just used to being sassy and assertive. Um, but when I, so when I look for apartments, I do it on Oilix. I don't, I don't have a realtor because I speak Ukrainian, so I can call them up directly. And a lot of the times their realtor will say some, like, uh, what I was calling, they'd always say, we don't accept foreigners. They don't, we don't accept foreigners. And they do speaking in Russian. And eventually I started, when they said that, I started saying, it's, it's who, who, who of us are sp- is speaking a foreign language? <laughs> Oh, it's me, but everybody can hear me, Is right? There? Yeah, we can all hear. Sorry, Aliona. I don't understand, um, guys. And I would say that, and I, it means who who among us is speaking the foreign language? Because uh, they were speaking Russian and I'm speaking Ukrainian. And nine times out of ten, even though they were speaking Russian, they would be like, okay, I respect you. I'll see what I could do. And they'd like talk to the owner of the apartment and be like, Well, you know, he's like, I know you don't accept foreigners, but like this person clearly like speaks Ukrainian and understands everything we say. Um, so sometimes, I mean, it's just kind of, uh, you gotta, you gotta be a little assertive sometimes uh, in, in Kiev, at least when people are pushing back at you uh, for, for certain things. Um, thank you. Just on a side note, even I don't rent from oil leaks. I mean, come on, it has so many scammers. Well, I've never, I, I know, I've never gotten scammed. I mean, I've never signing any contracts or giving any money until it's like these keys are in my hand and they work. And yeah, I actually have a very cool landlord now, but I won't go into that just because Aliona wants to wrap up. We, we can host a separate uh, Twitter space for you for your landlord. Uh, for tonight, I'll have to wrap up and um, get off Twitter for a bit unbelievable i know uh thank you very much for joining i'm also gonna share uh the we've launched the podcast i'm very happy about it because it's something that i've been procrastinating uh for ages and now it's like an actual podcast on spotify and i'm pretty sure it's already on um apple podcast as well i was trying to set it up just before we started uh and the first episode is with um Terrell, um We spoke to him, was it yesterday or the day before yesterday, I think. Um, and it's uh, it's a really 
cool conversation. I really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I thought um, it would be cool to have us on a new platform. So that's, um, that's exciting. I'm just putting it in the nest now. Uh, feel free to subscribe. Um, give it a five-star rating. <laughs> Uh, if you don't, um, you'll be cursed for the rest of your life. And uh, in your next life, you will be born in Russia. So please uh, be mindful of that. Um, so, yeah, uh, thank you so much for joining. I didn't even get to the reason why we actually started this uh, space. It was because yesterday I saw that Honcharenko was uh, giving an interview. <laughs> uh, on a, you know, um, in, a, in another space and he was... Uh, pretty much uh, pushing very subtle, uh, very like, you know, unnoticeable for um, uh, the Western audience, uh, Russian uh, talking points. And I was super annoyed by that. And one of the things that uh, he said was um, that, well, uh, you know, Russian, it's, um, it's my native language. I, I mean, fine. Uh, but <laughs> he said, um, Russian will always be spoken in Ukraine. And uh, I just did it. That just didn't sit right with me uh, that's just one of the things um so i uh, decided to kind of let, let the public know about who he is and why they shouldn't follow him there was a lot of uh, well a little bit of pushback um that i successfully i think managed to overcome please do not follow hirashenko please do not follow hancherenko um who else did we have like that there was um villain number three but i forgot <laughs> so just wanted to just wanted to circle back to where it started uh, tom thank you so much for staying out with us you know you put up with a lot today jl we are wrapping up but welcome yeah sorry <laughs> hello everybody good to see you all here and thanks for the space alona um i just wanted uh, as you as you touched i don't want to go into because i know that if i will uh Never mind. Okay, so I just wanted to say interesting thing that Goncharenko, Alexei Goncharenko, was uh, invited to the uh, Polish national television, uh, TVP, to uh, as a specialist uh, in a matter of uh, countering of Russian propaganda. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Bless. And what did he say? What did he say there? Uh, I, it was like I've sent it to you like a week ago or two weeks ago. I don't remember. I don't remember exactly what was he uh, saying there. But uh, I can I can share uh, the material with the interested. It's in English, so you can you can have a a, a little laugh there. And I can see that. He is uh, a guest in the TVP world, uh, in our TV, quite constantly, every, like, once or two times per month, so. <laughs> that is uh, that is very sad. I'm very sad to hear that. It was so funny yesterday, last, last thing I'll say, so funny to see man telling me, what if he's changed, you know? And they're like, you know, some of my girlfriends, they have this boyfriend that they just cannot fucking break up with them, you know? And it's like, it's very clear to everyone that it's an asshole. He's not going to change, sis. You broke up with him 20 times this year, you know? But they're like, no, this time it's going to be different. 
you know, convincing me yesterday that he's had a change of mind. I was like, I literally just listened to him now. <laughs> he's not changed. But the, the the level of hope that people have in Ventranco, it's inspiring, but not justified. I just wanted to say that uh, people, when people bring up Huncherenko or Hiroshenko over here, I just really miss that, you know, facepalm emoji uh, on the options. Like, that that's the one. That's the one I need. Thank you for highlighting this. I also heard yesterday a quote of the day was, I think Hiroshenko's patriotism is unquestionable. I was like, Hiroshenko and patriotism is just an oxymoron in the first place. Not only is it questionable, but it's just you just don't say it in one sentence. Oh, God. Anyway, I'm going to be back tomorrow. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you, Tom, for joining us. We'll be back uh, with Tom next uh, Wednesday. Love Ukraini, guys. Hello, I'm sorry. 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 Hello, I'm sorry.